Strange things are growing in our movies, TV shows, and books. There are so many weird and wonderful plants in the stories you know and love, but are they based in science or fiction? In each episode, we dive into the botany hidden in our favorite stories. We find out what's real and what's fantasy with help from the experts here at the Chicago Botanic Garden. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Erica. And this is Botanical Mystery Tour. The poster for the movie The Silence of the Lambs is iconic. A sinister winged insect covers the mouth of a pale-faced woman. The insect is a death's head hawk moth, and in some cultures it's considered a dark omen. There's more to hawk moths than movie symbolism. They're important pollinators, but their populations are in decline. We called on garden scientist Chris Scogan to learn more about hawk moths and their role in Buffalo Bill's story. Krissa studies the relationship between hawk moths and the plants they pollinate. Hi, Krissa. Hi. <laughs> so death's head hawk moths. So we want to talk today a bit about why these particular moths, these death head um, hawk moths, are such an ominous motif in the silence of the lambs and what their biology is. The skull on the thorax is is the, the main thing, but there are a few other things about the biology that um, I think kind of propelled this particular genus to have the um, really interesting cultural significance that it's had in various parts of the world. Um, so the, the adults are, they feed, they feed on nectar like a lot, most moths do, um, but they also feed on honey. Um, so the, the adult will crawl into a hive and the bees, the worker bees, do nothing. And so a lot of people have thought that they have these special powers, right? Like the bees don't sting them. They don't try and get them out of the hive. Why? They're like magical in, in some way. Um, and they don't have any special characteristics or traits that would protect them from a bee sting if they were to be stung. Yeah, that's really interesting because in aren't, aren't worker bees very protective of the hive, oh, yeah. you would think that they would, like, super attack them. Right. Like, and, yeah, so the worker bees want to keep the hive clean. They don't want any pests. They don't want any predators getting in there. Um, and so I think that's one of the, the reasons why, in addition to the skull and the thorax, this ability to go unnoticed by bees in a hive. Mm. And um, the, the third thing, these moths make a like a squeaking sound mm -hmm. that is audible to humans. And so those three things combined with the common moth behavior of flying to lights at night mm -hmm. and then getting a little disoriented. Um, we've all experienced that probably at the like porch light in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, I guess there's a fourth thing, moth eyes also can look red. Mm. Um, when they're reflecting light back. Um, and so they've got this like extra creepy feature yeah. about their morphology. Um, and so these things taken together have led people in the past to um, think that they're special in some way. And the skull is the, you know, the extra bad omen of death or yeah. bad things to come. So 
in the Silence of the Lambs, right? We see a lot of the like the theme, the recurring theme is this transformation and change, and there's butterfly and moth themes throughout right. the movie. Um, and so a lot of the things that you were describing about the death's head, I'm never going to get that right. <laughs> okay. The death's head hawk moth um, are, I think, traits of Buffalo Bill, right? Right. So I rewatched this movie recently, and I hadn't seen it since I was in seventh grade, <laughs> or that's my <laughs> first memory of seeing it. And the the image on the film poster, the, the adult moth, um, with its wings out, um, and just my general memory of the the movie, um, the the moth really sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the more recent viewing of it, I was really taken by how there are very few scenes where the moths actually occur. I yeah. think it's like mm-hmm. four, maybe five scenes where you see the moths, the actual moths, right? Right, but you see them in like like wallpaper right. in his how like his childhood home right. and stuff and like background it's stuff sprinkled, yeah it's sprinkled right. around and it's in his basement right right so he's and he loves them right yeah oh yes he does <laughs> he cares for them <laughs> yeah like the entomologists we're talking about right. very creepily in yep. that one scene <laughs> right right so i think the the um marketing of the with the poster with the mom yeah. on the poster is yeah. fantastic um and then how the the theme of transformation is reflected in many different scenes. I guess I'm what I'm talking about is the living moths. Yeah. Um, and the life cycle trans transition stages uh, for leps or lepidopterans, which is what butterflies and moths are, many insects, I should say, um, go through a, a larval phase or a caterpillar, then to the the pupa. Mm-hmm. or the cocoon or chrysalis, and then to the adult, so the moth or the butterfly, that usually is what we think of when we think of these insects. Um, and so that transformation, those three stages, are reflected in, I would say, all three characters, mm-hmm. the, all three of the main characters. Mm-hmm. Certainly the um, Buffalo Bill uh, transformation is the most obvious. Um, and there's some really interesting connections from the death's head moth their biology to the transformation that Buffalo Bill is trying to go through. And so one of the things that's that I find really interesting and whoever I have not read the book, so I don't know what the Yeah, not, um, me neither. If this is in the book yeah, or if, if they it go was into more detail on like the actual significance. Right. And the yeah. and the connection. Right. Um and I almost feel like the the fact that it wasn't pointed out somewhere in the movie. Mm-hmm is a real disservice to this added layer of symbolism. Yeah. So the I mentioned that the adults will go into a, a hive to drink ne- or to drink honey and the things that they do or the the traits that these moths have that allow them to go in undetected by the bees include emitting some uh, pheromones or chemical compounds that are the same as the ones that bees um, the honeybees emit, mm. so the bees don't recognize it chemically as a not a, a bee, but, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's been uh, proposed that the skull pattern on the back is really the 
to, to mimic a bee body, right? Oh, so okay. I smell like a bee. I've got this visual yeah. cue. And then the, um, the squeak of the moth, mm-hmm. some, some think, I don't know if there's evidence for this, but some think that perhaps it um, mimics the squeak or the sounds that the queen bee also produces. Oh, cool. And so this moth can go in undetected, mm-hmm. drink honey, steal a resource and then take off like no problem. And so the connection to Buffalo Bill is really interesting because he does things in the movie like many serial killers do, like Ted Bundy, where they pretend they take on um, a behavior or um, something that causes the person they're interacting with to not, to not be able to detect a danger. So yeah. Buffalo Bill has a cast on his arm or something, and he's trying to do something a reasonable, pers- reasonable person with a cast wouldn't do, move a big piece of, like a big chair into the back of a van. Um, and so the like decoy is the cast, right? And for the moths, it's the smell and the click and the, mm-hmm. the visual, um, the skull pattern on its thorax. Um, and so that, that's, a, you know, another really interesting connection between the two. Um, I wish the, maybe at the end, and maybe they did this and it got cut, who knows, but, um, <laughs> somewhere at the end where someone talked to somebody about some of these things, you know, oh, he did this because of this, maybe the, I don't know, when did, um, profiling begin? I guess this was when serial killer profiling was starting. Yeah. The 70s, or the I want to say 70s. that like the term serial killer, because I am also into like true crime podcasts, and um, it was like the 60s or 70s when they started actually coining the term. So maybe like the 80s when the movie set was when it became yeah. more of a thing of like, oh, we can identify people that are not just killing, but it's there's a there's a it's pattern a and there's a mm-hmm. yeah component. yeah but the whole yeah the, the work that Clarice does in like understanding a serial killer was very new at that time right and trying to understand why why that they do what they do not just saying like that person's a murderer let's lock them up and put them away she actually wanted to like get to know who they were to understand that they there's parallels between people that are serial killers and Mm -hmm. that whole aspect i mean that's not part of the like moth symbolism but Mm -hmm. but the fact that there's parallels there like you're saying with the with the behaviors and you identified ted bundy as well Mm -hmm. like all the Mm -hmm. tying that all together isn't always obvious for people um but it's nice that like we can find a connection to yeah. The science world. Yeah, totally. And certainly not something that I picked up on when I was 12 when I sat for the first time. <laughs> I didn't either. And I think a lot of people don't even know that's a moth on the poster. Oh, yeah. A yeah. lot of this stuff you'll find online. And even in the even in the movie, they call it a bug, right? Yeah. yeah. Really, you could kind of think of, butter- as, of butterflies as um, daytime moths. Um, <laughs> so and, moths got the night shift. Exactly. Yeah. Though there are a handful probably more than a handful that are active during the day too. Um, But as far as numbers go, um, there are globally um, 160,000 recognized species of moths and only 17,500 species of butterflies. So there's a magnitude of order greater number of um, moths. Globally, and then those numbers are somewhat reflected uh, if you look in the U.S. and in Illinois, or the proportional difference. So in Illinois, we have 150 species of butterflies, 
and 1,850 species of moths. Um, in the U.S., there are 750 species of butterflies and 11,000 species of moths. Um, the hawk moth in particular, which is, I wouldn't, I studied them, so I'm a little biased. Um, I would say um, one of the more fascinating groups of moths. Um, globally, there are 1,450 species, so pretty big group, um, and they're in the family Sphingidae. Um, they're, we know more about them, about sphingids or hawk moths in general, than we do a lot of other moths, um, probably because, yeah, they're, um, their bodies are larger. They have this really um, characteristic hovering flight when they're, they're nectaring at flowers. Um, they sort of look like hummingbirds. A little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. So they'll forage. They commonly, most moths forage nocturnally or from dusk to dawn. Um, but a lot of hawk moth species will also forage during the day, uh, just kind of dependent upon floral resources or nectar that's available to them. Um, and so a lot of people have seen them maybe in the early morning hours in the summer or, you know, four or five and on um, in the evening. and Often they're confused for a hummingbird because they, they hover like a hummingbird. And if you see them out of the corner of your eye, you know, a lot of people get really excited and turn. They're like, oh, a hummingbird. <laughs> um, and then they think, wait a minute, that is not yeah, a bird. What yeah. is that? <laughs> but it's interesting. It still should be something you get excited about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. I totally agree. I want to go back a little bit to the Silence of the Lambs and talk about Clarice um, as a female scientist and her work. Um, and how you um, maybe do or do not identify her as a woman in science. Yeah, so one of the things that really struck me in this recent viewing of the movie was how um, badass the, some of the women um, mm -hmm. characters are, including Clarice. Um, and also it, how much time has passed since this movie came out. So it's been 28 years. And, you know, there were, there, there are many scenes in the movie that um, I think some folks would like to think these sorts of scenarios don't happen for women anymore um, when they're in a professional, um, you know, place or doing something associated with their work and it's serious work. Um, and I found myself thinking, oh, yeah, this happens, this still happens. It's been almost 30 years and this this scene could be shot today and it would still be accurate. Um, so there are a few places where, um, so the one, one scene when she goes to a natural history museum, I'm assuming it's mm -hmm. supposed to be the Smithsonian, um, and she meets with the two entomologists to try and figure out what the, the I think they say bug is. Um, and... You know, what struck me about that scene was, and I'm sure that this was done for, like, a more dramatic um, element, but she goes at night. Mm -hmm. There's no one else there. She's walking through an empty museum, um, and she meets with two male biologists, right? And they're kind of, they're a little off. Yeah, right? They're, unfortunately, the, like, stereotype of someone who studies insects. <laughs> and let me just say, I've met tons of people who study insects and um, 
plants and birds and you, you name the living organism. And most people are normal and they're <laughs> fun and they're not like total, you know, the stereotype of the weird. Um, Playing chess with their bugs. Yes. Yes. Though I did think that was kind of hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, they really played up on the stereotype of the the male scientist. Um, and the interactions that she has with them, one of them is dissecting the like people casing, mm-hmm. and the other is trying to get her to go out for dinner and drinks with them afterwards. And is like she calls him on it. She's like, "You're flirting with me." Like and he's like, "Yeah, maybe I am." And she just, you know, it's like, yeah, no thanks. And, um, you know, there are times in my own career and in my own life where I found I found myself when I was watching this scene thinking, oh, my God, I have been in this situation. And the exact same thing unfolded. And I don't know if my response was as, like, clear cut and no thanks, but I'm going to channel Clarice <laughs> to the best of my ability um, going forward. Um, but I think the other thing that um, that scene really highlights is the the situations that women find themselves in, just in general, in science, in like any field, in any part of your life, um, that men don't. Like had had her boss gone in with the people with the pupa instead of Clarice, most of that just would have been a professional interaction, and. You know, I think that's the kind of thing that happens a few times in the movie that, um, you know, we're talking way more about in our society these days following the Me Too movement and a lot of things coming to light and trying to make um, science and just in general the workforce more, um, I guess, more professional and less hostile or antagonistic for women. Um, the There were a few other places where I just thought, man, she's just so, like, amazing. Um, there's a scene where they go to look at the body that was mm. found in the mm-hmm. river. And she walks in with her boss. I can't remember his name, but... Crawford? Yeah. So they walk in, and the police, the local police are there, mm-hmm. and... He says, "Oh, let's go, let's go talk about the scene, the whatever, in another room." I think he wants to give Clarice, you know, personal access with someone else to the mm-hmm. body to like look at things. And um, he, you know, says offhandedly, "It's it's just a little." Um, what does he say? Something, Something to like- affect where it's like, it's. Nothing, not something we should discuss in front of a woman. Right, right. And then in the scene on the way home, she calls him on it. And she says something along the lines of, um, people look to you as an example of how to behave. And it's not right. And and I just thought, that is so amazing. There are so many times when I've been in a situation where I've been belittled or felt that way, either explicitly or implicitly because I'm a woman or because I'm a woman in that professional sphere. And um, it can be awkward to to say something, but like, I think I suspect that a lot of women, and not probably not just women, but people who've been marginalized in general um, can relate to that experience. And don't just assume I can't handle it because I'm a member of some group that you think in general can't handle certain things because it's just not 
actually how it is. And I, I think with a lot of the female characters in the movie, they're underestimated. Like oh, totally. Throughout, even like not just, I mean, Clarice was like a very obvious one because you see her like in this man's world of like FBI and mm-hmm. like dealing with serial killers and all this stuff that seems just, oh, a woman can't handle that. But then also Buffalo Bill's victims mm-hmm. who, um, I forgot which one, was it does one of them like fight back and like. The girl in the well. Yes. Yeah. Like. I can't remember her name. Senator's daughter. The, yes. And the actress, oh, I've Catherine? seen her in other things. Mm-hmm. And I always think of her as like, she's the badass yeah. that like didn't like, yeah. didn't want to just like meekly like, you know, stand back or anything. And I think, yeah, overall, the feminist bent throughout the movie is that like, don't underestimate these women. Like, right. they're not who you might assume they are just because they're female. I don't know that there's a female character in the movie that isn't strong, um, which is amazing. Uh, there aren't many movies that have been made where the the, the lead role um, does not enter into a needless romantic relationship, um, and they didn't do it here, um, which is the end. The other thing I loved about it is that the the movie places her in this man's world and shows the audience what it's like to be a woman in a man's world, right? Like you're going to get harassed, you're going to be undermined, you're going to... to, um, People are going to try to trick you and you're going to figure it out. There's a lot of times when she's like, oh, Lecter is just like playing with us and she's the one that can solve it and all of her male colleagues like don't realize it. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And then towards the end where they think they've figured everything out, they got the import permits they know for the for the i guess the the eggs of the moth from LAX mm. or whatever and they think they know the right. the house so to go to the house. and you see this huge i guess military aircraft with all of the fancy stuff inside and Crawford calls her and he's like we figured it out we're on our way thanks honey we don't really need you anymore <laughs> when there's no way they would have been able to get the case to that point without her, but then they right. don't even invite her to come or yeah. like make her come or whatever. Um, and then how satisfying when they break into this house and there's nothing there. It's such a good scene too. I mean, I suspect <laughs> a lot of the things we're talking about are why it received five Academy Awards. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, so just, and to think that this was 28 years ago and all of the movies that have come out since then that haven't taken advantage of the fact that people really liked the movie and maybe they didn't recognize it at the time but it was a successful story with a female lead um that was hugely like successful in in theaters and box office so well i think i think part of why it's a good movie is because there is so many different stories being told there is the obvious story of like we're looking for a serial killer and people are being abducted and let's stop these murders from happening and then there's the symbolism that someone like you with a science background like sees like, oh, this is the moth that they're using and this is how they behave and this is how I can see the parallels in the characters. And then there's the feminist undertone. There's all these different layers to the movie that I think that's why you can watch it now, like, you know, almost 30 years later and it holds up and it still is a good story and it still is something that um, people can, you know, see themselves in some of the characters and relate to it yeah i cannot believe i watched this when i was 12 like this is not a movie for a 12 year old um 
obviously a lot of things were lost on me. In fact, uh, you know, that was just like the person I was too. I saw Dirty Dancing and did not get the abortion storyline uh, at same, all. Yeah, same until over I here. saw it again yeah. as an adult. I was like, yeah. "Whoa, this is way darker <laughs> yeah. than I." So, um, anyhow, I'm watching this movie, thinking, "I can't believe I saw this when I was 12." And then I can't believe that some of the stuff that's in this movie is stuff that I have done now and I'm totally comfortable with. So, like what? There's a scene in where the I don't know if Clarice is in the basement or if you know the audience is just being exposed to what's in the basement at Buffalo Bill's house and there's his um, moth rearing room right so mm-hmm. you see these cages you see these moths like fluttering around um, for the last couple of summers I've done some experiments here at the garden and had my colleague Rav Raguso send me pupae from Cornell of Hylis lineata which is one of the main hawk moths we work with. And then I have um, raised them in my office in insect cages and then separated the males from the females. And then when they're old enough, I put them in the same cage and mate them and then do experiments with the mated females. And I love them. (laughs) I love these moths. And they, like, they're... They're they're so adorable. <laughs> they're so cute. They're so magical. They they like they don't poop like a <laughs> like a caterpillar, but they they more pee, and it's this like red color. Ew. So it's like I know <laughs> or kind of pink. Um, so there's like papers down on the floor oh to like I don't know. Mama it does not. It doesn't bother me at all. Like holding them doesn't bother me. The other thing that I would have, as a twelve year old, been like, "There's no way my career will involve these things." Um, moth poop. Yeah, moth poop. Just having moths, these big moths in my office. Um, I have climbed into the cage oh to gosh. label the moths. We label them with um, like Sharpies on their wing so we can tell them apart to see moth A was mated with male, you know, X or whatever. Um, so I've done that. The other thing that um, I never thought in a million years I would ever think and like honestly believe this in the core of my being is that these uh, – the mopfa moth larvae are really cute. <laughs> uh, they're just so they if they eat um there are other species that eat uh like petals and floral tissue. If they eat yellow flowers, the little larvae turns pink. And um they're just so cute. When I show pictures to like friends and family, they're like Oh, so they're like maggots, and, <laughs> and they are. Um, but I, I just love them, and I never really thought that that would be, like, what twelve year old? Let's like we can just go to the middle school down the road. Any <laughs> any women in the room, young women, think that they're going to be finding little tiny maggots super adorable and interesting? <laughs> the so. evolution of your career. I know, it's right? Just been you never know where it's going to go. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> So, um, I guess the other thing I would add was that I, when I finished the movie and thinking about preparing for this podcast, I thought, what a disservice this movie has done for insects and moths in particular. (laughs) 
you know? I like, can see that, they've yeah. They've really given them well, yeah. a bad rap. If they're associating it with serial killers, it's like these are the yeah. only people that would love these things when clearly that's not true. It's, it's not true. And as someone who has sat in front of plants flower that have flowers on them for hundreds of hours and been equally as mesmerized every single time a hawk moth shows up to drink like within two feet of my face every time I'm like this is amazing they're so cool to see them demonized on the screen is just <laughs> atrocious so, yeah but um yeah I think we need to do a PR campaign to reclaim the um, negative <laughs> associations with moths in general, but I'm probably, you know, in the minority on that. <laughs> so you're a woman working in science, and um, you probably have some really interesting stories of being in the field and um, your firsthand knowledge of going out on your own. Do you have any? Do you have any interesting stories that might, you know, shock people or make, you know, not be what people expect when they think of like, oh, that's a place that you would do research? Right. Yeah. So I was a grad student at the University of Connecticut. And I, at the time, I was studying rare plants that had disappeared from many areas in New England and became accustomed to the ha- what the habitat looked like and drive around and see areas where I would think, oh, I bet they're over there. So, and then I would drive and get as close as I could and then hike in if it was public property or try and get landowner permission um, to kind of explore and see if I could find anything. And um, one day I, you know, this whole scenario happens. I drive down a road. There's a big gate. Um, and it says that the site is managed by the um, state of Connecticut, and if you want access, you have to, like, call someone. So I, I, I call. I really want to get in here and check it out. And the site was an abandoned mental health institution, um, and parts of the property were used to house the criminally insane. Um, so anyhow, I got access. I, I had to have an escort with me. So I coordinated with somebody and met up with them, and I had to you know, they had to be with me the entire time we were there, which was fine. And the buildings are these old majestic buildings, like you would imagine, with, you know, access roads to get around between the buildings. But the distinct difference is that a lot of the buildings have, like, three-story high um, chain link fence, like, fencing wrapped around the building. And, uh, you know, I had all so many questions, right? And so the escort knows the history of the site, and she's telling me all these fascinating stories. And, you know, we're just wandering around looking for plants. We've walked around the campus almost in its entirety, and we get to this little road, and she says, oh, I forgot. We can't go down there. Um, and, and I was like, oh, okay, I don't know. And then, you know, not she just kind of offers this information up. She said, that's the only, um, there are two houses down there. Those are the only houses on the site that are currently being used. And I was like, oh, I'm just thinking like, oh, it's administrative stuff. Like, yeah, I don't know. She goes, that's where our um, two cannibals live. (laughs) 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 Exactly. I was like, excuse me? Um... She's like, don't worry. They're highly medicated. (laughs) They have caretakers. 
like the windows are like there's curtains over the windows, but we don't want to go down there because we won't, we don't want. Because we won't come back. (laughs) (laughs) She she was like, we don't want them to like see us and have like a silence of the lamb type moment. Because they're like, you know, they're like sedated and they're, yeah. I don't know. Well, you think of the movie and he's like, has a mask on and he's strapped down. Well, and so. But that's not, yeah, it. I, I mean, th- this is what I'm picturing, right? Right, I'm picturing, yeah. like, the basement and the sketchy cells that they're in, yeah. and they're not modern facilities. And the houses that these two cannibals apparently were being kept in are just these, like, split-level homes built in the 70s. But, again, they had three-story <laughs> uh, chain-link fences around them. With These ones Yikes. had razor wire at the top. And I'm thinking if... If they're really sedated and there are caregivers there 24 hours a day and not just one person, right? What a job Why to do have. you really, I know. <laughs> what, do you really need a razor wire? But, you know, precautions. We need precautions. Oh. <laughs> and then there's like the little lockbox, like punch code thing to get in. Um, but, um, yeah. So then I went home Yikes. and, you know, this was 2004. The internet wasn't what it is now. And I couldn't find anything online about it. And so then I was like, is this true? Is this not? I have no reason to think it wasn't. And, and there you were throw a on your Clary suit. I know. I know right? Go going there. at night with my night and goggles to check it out. But um, there were a bunch of cars parked out front. And she's like, oh, yeah, the, the care, there's always caregivers here. There are always cars here, you know, whatever. So, and, um, for, you know, sh- she offered to take me into the buildings at a later date. I never took her up on it because I wasn't quite sure if I could handle that. But mind would just go to crazy places yeah so you miss with your own Hannibal Lecter I know right yeah um but yeah just like a totally not the kind of scenario you would expect someone looking for rare plants to (laughs) no story to come home and tell well so so that's the next question did you find (laughs) yes I did I did so (laughs) I went back the next couple of years to monitor the populations to see if they had grown or you know decreased in size and um, I always had to go out with the with an escort, and it was the same woman every time. And um, thankfully, every day I went out there, it was a beautiful day because just knowing, you know, yeah. like what had gone on, it's a little eerie to stand like ten feet from the building where. And you know which road to avoid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I think that's a really good story to end on. Actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Krista. Was, Thank you so much. It's been that was really, really fun. fun. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. You can have nightmares tonight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> oh my gosh. So there you have it. Hawk moths might have a creepy reputation, but they're fascinating pollinators. Oh, and maybe stay away from abandoned mental institutions. Thanks for listening. Botanical Mystery Tour is produced by the Chicago Botanic Garden. You can find us at botanicalmysterytour.com or on your favorite podcast apps. And if you're in the Chicago area, come and visit the garden. You can find out more about everything happening at the garden and what's currently in bloom at www.chicagobotanic.org. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Erica. And thank you for coming with us on a Botanical Mystery Tour.
Botanical Mystery Tour is produced by the Chicago Botanic Garden. Any reference to specific pop culture media does not constitute or imply an endorsement by the Chicago Botanic Garden. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily state or reflect those of the Chicago Botanic Garden. <laughs>